We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. Welcome to Kilkenny Today with Frank Tynan. Welcome along indeed to Kilkenny today. I do hope I find you well and I do hope you can maybe keep me and my guests on today's show company for the next hour or so as we discuss topics of interest to the people of Kilkenny. And I suppose we'll start straight away with my first guest. Construction has begun on a new 72-bed ward block at St Luke's Hospital, Kilkenny, as well as a unit to house the MRI scanner. To discuss these new developments, I'm joined on the telephone by Anne Slattery, General Manager of St Luke's Hospital in Kilkenny. Anne, how are you? Hello, how are you? So nice to talk to you and thanks for your time because I'm sure you're very, very busy. Uh, the site here is always busy, but um, yeah, we're delighted to have the new building work commenced on here. It's a um, really welcome addition for the hospital with 72 new beds. I was going to say maybe before we have a little chat about the actual building process and uh, and the great uh, new uh, developments that are going to be there, maybe just to see how you and your staff are coping. Obviously, we're still in the midst of COVID-19 and, and um, it's been a difficult seven, seven months for everybody, but particularly all of us, I suppose, um, in relation to health. So how are you doing out there? Yeah, um, yes, the hospital was very busy initially with COVID-19 and uh, I suppose in the last few days as well, um, we are beginning to note the increase in the community and in the levels in general nationally with people that are positive uh, with COVID-19. Just to say, look, that the hospital is a very safe place that people have to come into hospital. And while we've had outbreaks similar to other hospitals across the, the, the country, we are following all the infection control procedures and guidance that are issued nationally from NEFET and the HPSC. Um, again, we are working very closely with the community in terms of the numbers of people that may be presenting and again we have um, certain protocols and procedures in place in the hospital for anyone that should present with COVID symptoms etc. Um, in addition we screen every person who is admitted to the hospital for COVID-19 um, so that again that we protect other patients and also our staff. Absolutely, yes. um, And again, I suppose we would also advise everyone to limit your contacts. Um, the one thing that this disease, um, it's very transmissible. So if you're up close to somebody who doesn't have a mask on, it can be very easily transmitted and a person can be asymptomatic. And this is one of the problems with containing this particular disease is that people can be asymptomatic and have no symptoms, but they could still pass it on to somebody who's very vulnerable, particularly when they wouldn't have their mask on, they could 
could be e- eating or in conversation and that's why people need to stay the, the, the distance at least two metres apart and to wear the cup face covering when this is when this is impossible when you can't um, stay two metres apart but again um, a face covering it isn't a substitute for distance we would say look keep the distance and limit the contacts and again if people feel unwell they should contact their GP in the first instance um, and don't as I said don't come to ED if you just think you have COVID you need to first of all talk to your GP and then get the appropriate tests etc but again of course if anyone is sick or very seriously ill yes have that discussion with your GP and they may refer you to the hospital if that's absolutely deemed necessary. That's great advice, Anne, and very uh, reassuring because I suppose, I mean, you know, people are a bit nervous, but I mean, there are separate streams out in St. Luke's, so I mean, if it's a COVID-related issue, people go to a different area as opposed to those maybe referred by the GP for, let's face it, I mean, you know, pretty serious uh, conditions which may arise as we go into the winter months. Yeah, I suppose the other thing that we're doing at the moment is the flu campaign has got underway here at the hospital as well and we're encouraging everyone to get the flu vaccine which is available free of charge to everyone over the age of 65 as well as young children this year Um, and we're also doing a campaign with all our staff and to date uh, quite a lot of our staff are actually after getting the flu vaccine Um, everyone, we need to protect ourselves, our patients and our families and getting the vaccine early um, this certainly is a good protection in addition to the risks of course with uh, COVID-19 and also we don't want people presenting to the ED unnecessarily um, if they have something that can be prevented like for example the flu if you have the vaccine uh, you shouldn't really get the flu uh, or if you do get something it wouldn't be as severe as what one would expect if you had not been vaccinated. Yeah, I just got my uh, the vaccine myself there at the weekend. Uh, my surgery, we're doing clinics on Saturday and Sunday. So like you, like you say, Anne, I would encourage everybody to avail of the vaccine if they can. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a big help. Absolutely. Um, again, we're all waiting and hope that there will be a vaccine for COVID-19, but that's a bit down the road. Yeah. And uh, all we can do at the moment then is just, um, as I said, limit the contacts, do the hand hygiene, the cough etiquette, Stay the distance two meters and wear the face covering. But again, on a positive note, I suppose you know from a, from, your, from your medical team's point of view, we have learned a lot over the last six seven months, even in relation to treatment um, for COVID nineteen, which is reassuring as well, isn't it? Yes, it's look. It is an evolving situation. It is a new infectious disease um, that wasn't there this time last year, and uh, people are learning more and more about it every single day. But there is quite a lot of evidence there in relation to the transmission. And while we don't have a vaccine at the moment the one thing that can help is for people to stay apart and to limit contacts and I suppose the real reason for that is you don't know who might have COVID-19 a lot of people can be asymptomatic particularly younger people but if they come in contact with somebody that's that bit vulnerable has maybe an immune system uh, that might not be as well able to cope with Uh, getting COVID-19, well that person can be in danger and can be in danger of losing their life and that's the plain facts of it Um, and nobody wants to be maybe the person that transmits inadvertently to somebody just because they didn't know and maybe didn't keep the distance so uh, it is very difficult, it's a strange life for everybody at the moment it's a different different culture culture. Um, but 
as I said, we're doing it for the safety of all our friends and relatives, and particularly those that would maybe get the virus and get it maybe in a wor- much worse, more severe form than those people that maybe could go out and socialise and maybe not have anything. But the problem is when they go home to visit their granny or maybe their parents, that they may be asymptomatic, but it can be, as I said, it can be very symptomatic for their parents or for other members of their family who might have underlying conditions. So we'd really say, look, keep the distance, um, keep away from people if you have been in a large crowd. Probably 14 days, you know, that would be what we would call the the quarantine period. And if you really want to be sure that you don't have have COVID-19, if you've been in a a large group where you don't, you know, it's it's so important that people just limit the contacts now at the moment, do the hand hygiene, keep the distance and wear the face covering. Absolutely. And I suppose really it's it's all down to personal responsibility. We we protect ourselves, we protect our, our friends and family and also we want to protect our frontline staff and our hospital staff our doctors because again you know the work that you've done and I mean just so well done to, to, to all your colleagues in, in the work you've done over the last year and it's been tiring and it's um, it's been difficult. Yeah it, 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 ha- it has been very challenging and I suppose in this hospital as you know um, we had two members of staff yes. who have lost their lives yes. um, um, with COVID-19 and that's very sad and it's very distressing for everybody at the time um, we've learned a lot. Um, all our staff wear PPE in accordance with the guidance set down from Neffet. However, as I said, one of the other, I suppose, one of the things in the beginning that we found problematic is people found it hard to understand. And this is everybody in general that you also have to keep the distance when you're on your coffee break or tea break when you'd like to talk to somebody. That you have to keep two meters apart because you don't have your PPE on you then. And that's probably one of the areas that everyone is learning more about and that not only for people out in the community for staff and hospital when we are on our breaks you have to keep the distance you have to keep the two meters and this goes for every workplace as well so i think that's the hard part for people to understand you can understand it while you're in your PPE and you're working with people that may or may not have COVID-19, but to be on your break with your friends and also understanding that if I have my mask down because I'm eating, I must also keep my two metres because my friend could be asymptomatic. Absolutely. And just maybe um, the, the clinics, outpatient clinics, Anna, are they yeah. still kind of in process? Uh, I know you have virtual clinics. We have virtual, virtual clinics. clinics and we have normal face-to-face yeah. clinics. Yeah. And we ring, we contact people maybe before, if they're due in, a lot of people have to have a face-to-face clinic consultation. But if they are coming in, they are asked a list of questions and they also have another list of questions for when they arrive and there's also temperature checking, etc. Uh, when people come to clinic. But we also are doing virtual clinics and this is where the consultant with the, the junior doctors and with the nursing team they will maybe contact you and maybe ascertain what the symptoms or what the condition is or maybe update and there may not be a need for a person to come to the hospital which is very good as well Absolutely. and a lot of hospitals including St. Luke's and nationally are doing a lot of virtual consultations where feasible now it's not feasible for everyone but it is feasible for certain patients Listen, that's really, really important. And um, I suppose there was some good news again, you know, with the construction beginning on the new fantastic 72-bed ward block at St. Luke's and and, uh, also the home for the scanner as well. So obviously there's the excitement in relation to the Yeah, I mean, we've been waiting for the scanner for quite a while and it's 
I suppose great thanks as well to the Friends of St. Luke's, Carlo Kilkenny, who um, actually have funded part of the scanner. They've donated 250,000 euro towards the cost of the scanner. Um, and that whole building and the scanner, it's a total cost of 4.8 million. So we're really thankful to the Friends and to the HSE. Um, we need this. We don't need to be transferring people out for an MRI scan. We would have had many ambulance journeys, etc. people going out off the site. We want to keep people and protect them and get most of their diagnostics done here. An MRI now is a core diagnostic tool that's been done on most acute hospital sites. Um, it, it's a very important modality that we need for diagnosis. Um, and we're really looking forward to having this on the site. Um, again, the ward block, um, we need single rooms. This is one of the things that's necessary with infectious diseases and particularly COVID-19. Um, again, it's to spread, it prevents the spread of infectious disease from one patient to another patient. And also, I suppose, from staff as well, if they're assigned to a certain room, that you avoid spread as well. So um, certainly um, single room accommodation is the way forward in relation to preventing the spread of infectious disease. It will also provide maybe support to people where people are end of life or palliative care in that everyone has their own individual room. So um, we can see that the benefits of single room accommodation will maybe tick a lot of boxes for us in terms of support for the safety of staff and their families here on the site. Um, it, it, it would certainly prevent infection, but there's a lot of other added things like confidentiality, and um, privacy for patients. Absolutely, and for staff, and uh, just a better environment to work in, really, as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, and again, uh, this building it does take into account some of the requirements of COVID-19. Um, they have, some modular bills have been rolled out already um, across the country. There's been a new one in South Tipperary, and ours will be similar but the ground floor structure will have extra staff facilities as you know our hospital was opened in 1942 and staff facilities didn't play a major part at that particular time but we will have a lot of showers and other supports for, that are necessary for staff welfare going into the ground floor and then the remainder three floors will be the patient blocks um, and again as I said it will benefit the hospital because our old wards contain wards that are open plan 11 to 12 beds with only a curtain between patients does not get much in privacy does nothing for really the control of infectious disease and I suppose with a new building everyone has their individual toilet and ensuite which is really really important for the control of infection disease, infectious diseases well, As I said Anne, in difficult times it's a, it's a good news story and uh, we all need to have good news stories as well and uh, can I just say thank you to you for giving me your time this afternoon and can I ask you as well on behalf of all of us here at the station to pass on our regards and respect to your colleagues who, who are doing a fantastic job for the people of Kenny and Yes, certainly I'll, I'll do that. And again, just on behalf of the hospital, we would like to thank all the people in Carlo Kilkenny who have always been supportive of the hospital. And particularly during COVID, we got a lot of support and I suppose we maybe haven't had the time to thank people um, for their great support during our difficult time, which was early on in the pandemic. We really appreciated that at the time. And again, we're here for we're here for everybody. That That's our role, our function, and to provide the best service possible um, and again um, as I said we probably couldn't do our role only for all the support that we have gotten from patients and businesses and everybody in Kilkenny um, this hospital really appreciated we're part of the community and we couldn't be here unless we had the support from our community 
Well, thank you very much indeed. Anne Slattery, Jolly Manager at St. Luke's Hospital, Kilkenny. Thanks again for your time. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Many thanks to Anne Slattery there and uh, great to hear some news from the hospital in relation to um, obviously new buildings which are going to go ahead and also an update on what's happening in relation to COVID-19. I'll take my first ad break now back in about three minutes. Don't go away. Community Radio Kilkenny City. We're local like you. We are Community Radio Kilkenny City 88.7 FM. Kilkenny's only community radio station. Local like you. Indeed, welcome back to Kenny Today with Frank Tynan and uh, got some more good news this morning actually as you awoke and listened uh, to the radio and discovered that uh, the Business Against Litter Awards or, or IA, IBAL were announced today and Kenny was named Ireland's cleanest city having beaten the European norm. I'm delighted now to welcome to Kenny Today to celebrate this good news, uh, Mayor of Kenny John Coonan. John, how are you? I'm very good, Frank. Ta- many thanks Thank for talking you. to me. I know you've had a very, very busy day working for the people of Kilkenny, and uh, you're so kind to share a few moments. But uh, good news. Great news. Yeah. Absolutely uh, fantastic news. At a time, I suppose, when people are worried about the COVID crisis and the pandemic and, uh, you know, the, the steps that we have to take. But in, equally at a time when Kilkenny was celebrating Kilkenny Day, the 11th, Yes. It's a Sunday. In fact, all during the week, there were programmes being uh, brought out, and indeed, all day on Saturday and Sunday, we had a varied uh, line of programmes. Of course, a lot of those programmes, Frank, had to take place online, yes. like many other yeah. uh, ways of doing things nowadays. We have a, we have the new way of maybe uh, doing business, and equally as well with the Kilkenny Day. But a lot of our activities with Kilkenny Day, we, we, we did them yesterday as well, and we had a very busy day, both the Cahirlach of the Council and myself. Uh, you know, we it's had a great idea, John. Actually, absolutely and, terrific. Because, um, and, the, and, and the nice thing about that was just uh, yesterday happens to fall on the feast day of St. Canis as well, which is the 11th. Which is, Fantastic. I mean, St. Canis gave the name to Kilkenny City yes. and County. What an appropriate day and time to do it, you know. Absolutely. And, and the but year, as you did say, Frank, we woke up this morning to brilliant news again to say that the Irish Business Against Litter uh, team have decided again that Kilkenny is the most pristine and litter free uh, city in Ireland, and, and I mean, in 26 counties. So, what an achievement because this is the second year I remember being up in Dublin last year uh, with Chap Clear the Cahirlach for Kenny County Council and I was Deputy Mayor and uh, we went to Dublin and again were thrilled to find that we were again uh, getting the glitter ball as it were for the, uh, for the most pristine, uh, pristine city in Ireland as well so what, what an achievement two, two years on the trot it's a fantastic achievement. And again, I suppose, reading through some of the reports uh, from the awards, um, all figures weren't great nationally, John, as well, because um, a lot of difficulty, obviously, because of COVID-19 and, um, you know, uh, litter. So, Absolutely. So we did really no, well, did. and the people of Kenny should be so proud, and the local authorities. They really should, but we have, we have a special civic spirit, I think, Kenny. We, 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 we really pride in our city, and we pride in our place, and you know, and we all do know in Kenny that... For example, if we went to visit someone or we had been on holidays and you might have been asked to you know where you were from and you might have said, Kenny, uh, and, and the first thing that most people would say to you, oh, that's a lovely place. Yeah. And it just doesn't happen. That's because of the people of Kenny City and indeed Kenny County as well. But I think we have a tradition in doing that. And I think for something like the Shamrocks, even though we win and we're up there at the top, we want to stay at the top. And I think that's the spirit. And I think the Irish Business Against Litter uh, represent, uh, representatives did say that Kilkenny was the perennial table topper. Yes. And what a title to have, a perennial table topper. And that's, you know, due in no small way to the um, collective pride of place that we have and the civic spirit and, you know, the individual and, and, and collective contribution uh, that we make in this city and county. For example, you take, everybody knows that Kilkenny beautiful. 
a terrific group of volunteers that go around there with their vests. You see them in the city, in the city environs, on the ring roads and on the roads, collecting uh, the rubbish or collecting cans or papers or whatever it might be, residents' associations. And we have annual awards uh, for that, that very purpose on an annual basis. Now, this year is different, again, like everything else, but... It's for the purpose of encouraging those residents' associations and individual groups to keep the spirit up and keep the standards up, and it's really been an outstanding success. But equally as well, I would like uh, to put on record that we should thank, uh, in no small way, the leadership and management and staff uh, of our local authority, and particularly the Environment Department. And with a special word of thanks, uh, Frank, to the superb outdoor staff, and their energy and continued positive appetite is truly exceptional. I even saw yesterday down at the parade when some of our activities were on for uh, the 11th. We had the local authority people going around there in their truck, emptying the bins, seeing that everything was in pristine condition and having a chat with the people who were enjoying the day. Yeah. That's the spirit that we have. And I even said it to my grandchild this morning when I went to go collect her for school that a lot of us don't realise, and she didn't realise, that from five and maybe six or half six in the morning, our trucks are out there in the morning. The bins are being emptied, and late at night as well. So people are working by day and by night to have the city in, in, and the county in the lovely clean position that it is in. And it, it, it is credit to one and all, that's for sure. It really is a credit to one and all. Well, it really is, like, and I suppose there's a great connection between Kilkenny and tourism, and obviously the people from Kilkenny really buy into that, and the importance that tourists, I mean, they find our city, as you said, beautiful. Why not? You know, so it, it, it's, it's, a, it's fantastic uh, coordination between all of us, I suppose, to try and, you know, pride in your place. That's what it's all about, really, isn't it, as well? Absolutely that. And, I mean, tourism, as you know, is probably our most important industry. Yeah. It is the top industry in the city, and it's the top, I suppose, money earner for us. And uh, I, I suppose long may it remain that way. But the only reason that it is like that, it's a very attractive place in many ways. We have our heritage, we have our history, uh, we have our restaurants, uh, we have our businesses. And if you come to Kilkenny City, and traditionally, the shops in Kilkenny City in the main, in the heart of the city, are traditional family historical shops. And they're varied and of a very high standard as well. Everything that we do is at a very high standard. And that's what people, I think, appreciate. That's what, I suppose makes us stick out that little bit different from other counties and possibly other cities. We do things to a very, very high standard, uh, whether it be a building, uh, whether it be a renovation, whether it be uh, the one-way system, the seats on the street, the presentation, the standard of our restaurants, in fact, the standard of our sport as well. But everything that, that we do or try to do, we try to do it to our very best. And you know what? People notice and people appreciate it. But really, I suppose, the real encouragement is now, Frank, yep. that we have a history of doing things to an exceptional standard uh, in every walk of life in Kilkenny, whether it be business or whether it be tourism or whether it be the retention of our historical fabric. Everything that we do uh, and maintain and develop, we develop to those very highest standards. In fact, the recent Butler Gallery, since I became mayor, so many people have mentioned to me because it's free to visit the Butler Gallery and it was free up to recent times. Yes. But, it, you know, it, it, people said it to me. I mean, they were taken aback. Their, their breath was taken by the beautiful place that was originally an Evans home, as we, we knew it up in John Street, is now the Butler Gallery with the, the Tony O'Malley wing. What a beautiful place in front of the Carnegie Library. I mean, this is some quarter now on John Street and that most certainly will be an added attraction to the heart of the city and indeed to the John Street area as well. Well, listen, congratulations to you as being the Mayor of Kilkenny and uh, for all the work that you do and your colleagues. And uh, as I said, it was a great start to the Monday today and um, it's a good news story that we need to um, share and talk about because it's um, difficult times. Indeed, Frank, and thank you very much for, for speaking to me this evening. But look, I'd just like to say on behalf of 
uh, I suppose as mayor of the city as well, to sincerely thank everybody for their continued efforts in making this happen because things don't happen of themselves. People make it happen. And it's the people that should be thanked for, uh, I suppose, achieving this phenomenal success. But before I do go, Frank, if you didn't mind, absolutely, I would like to express my condolence and pass my sympathy and prayers and thoughts uh, to Martin Mullally. Uh, his wife has just passed away. We've been told to Kenny County Council that he's a senior executive in Kenny oh, House. Uh, Josephine, his wife, has just passed to her eternal reward. So, from all of us, indeed all of the people in Kilkenny, uh, just our sincere sympathy and our prayers and thoughts with her at this difficult, uh, with with uh, Martin and his family at this difficult time. Absolutely. And um, John Conan Mayor of Kilkenny, many thanks for your time this afternoon. As I said, I really appreciate it. Thanks very much, Frank. Thanks, Thank John. Talk soon. Bye. Yeah, John Cunningham there. What a good news story. But um, a little earlier today, I spoke to Focus Ireland about a fundraising venture coming up um, at the weekend. And uh, this is how our little chat went. In 2019, Focus Ireland services across the country provided support to over 14,200 people. Not all were homeless, but many were seeking support to avoid becoming homeless. Focus Ireland's Shine a Light Night takes place on Friday, October the 16th. And I'm joined now on Kilkenny today uh, from Focus Ireland by Jessica Murphy. Jessica, how are you? Hi, I'm very good, Frank. How are you? So nice to talk to you. You too. Um, yeah, so you've got to, obviously, I suppose, maybe we'll come back to the fundraising in a moment because it's such an important part, obviously, of the work you do. But, um, you know, I mean, I suppose COVID-19 for everybody has, has proven uh, hugely um, challenging. And I'm sure for Focus Ireland, it has put new challenges on the great work that you do. It has, it has indeed. <coughs> um, I suppose the, the rate of homelessness was, uh, ha- has been very high and we were at over 10,000 um, uh, going into the lockdown and COVID-19. Now, the number is still substantial. We're still over 8,000, and 2,600 of those are children. But, you know, coronavirus brought a, a whole new dimension for these people who are, you know, uh, even more vulnerable. Um, and our frontline staff, I suppose, had to adapt quite quickly um, to um, the increased demand that was there for the services. But, you know, with the effort that they made, which was tremendous, um, they managed to move 918 people into long-term homes over the period of March and April. Um, And now I suppose what we continue to do is to try and strive to help more people to um, secure their own home. Um, So I suppose that's where we're leading to with our um, uh, Shine a Light Night that's coming up on Friday, Friday night. Yeah, again, I suppose in relation to, I mean, you know, fundraising is such an important part of the work you do, but mm. again, I'm sure like most groups, it, it's been difficult maybe to try and find new ways of, of raising money, but um, but you're very good, obviously, yeah. with, uh, with the new idea. Yeah, yeah well, virtual. you know, I suppose um, what it is, is, and you can see all of the charities doing it, um, all of our plans, you know, the, the carpet was really pulled from under our feet, uh, as, as was across the whole country in every business and every sector. Um, so it was to... It was to try and figure out how we were going to continue um, doing what we were doing and supporting our frontline staff through uh, the fundraising team. But um, I would have to say that people have been um, marvellous and our fundraising, you know, it's doing okay. Um, all our plans got changed on us, but, the, you know, we're, we're still managing to get the fundraising um, in. Um, and the Shine a Light Night um, has received tremendous uh, response. And even with that, you know, in previous years we've slept out and we've hosted um, different venues. Um, and this year, you know, I think we're on Planner C or D at this stage. Uh, we've yeah. been very busy in Dublin pulling it all together. Um, and, and still people are responding so positively. Um, so we've gone from the hosted sleep out to uh, it's a virtual event now. 
Um, so all over the country, people will be sleeping out in their back gardens, on their couches, on the decking, uh, wherever it is that they can, they can do it in their own homes. So, you know, as always, people have been amazing. Yeah, it's, it's a really good, novel way of, of, of doing it, um, Jessica, because, again, we can all take part now, can't we, really? Well, that's it. You know, it's almost uh, it's a silver lining, if there is one, um, in that we can all do it. I know I'm going to do it myself here, obviously, and I would have been doing the hosted event um, in Wexford. Um, but now I can get my two kids involved in it. So Fantastic. that's what a lot, of, uh, a lot of the people, business people and community people that we're talking to, are doing the very same thing. You know, all of a sudden, they're not disappearing for the night to go and um, be part of this or doing it as part of a, a, work, uh, a work thing. Uh, they're doing it at home. So, you know, the tent is going up in the back garden or they're getting into the camper van or, you know, if the kids are a bit younger, they're pulling them down onto the couch for the night on a sleeping bag. Um, so it's all-encompassing and we can all be part of it. And uh, the team have put together a lovely plan for Friday night. So, you know, uh, virtually and digitally, we'll all be in contact with, you, with each other over the night. Yes. And again, I suppose in relation to um, the corporate sector as well, you've got some great support in relation to the event. We do, we do. Um, businesses have been tremendous in coming out again, um, as they are every year. And, you know, it goes across every sector as well. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, with the way things are, they've been unable to um, run the at-work events maybe that they would have done. Uh, one or two businesses who can do it are going ahead and doing it that way. But other than that, they're bringing it back home as well. Um, but they're running it through as a, a business sleepout. They're Zooming with each other. They're uh, tying in with us in Focus Ireland. And the whole business, all the businesses are getting involved in it again this year, which is, is, is great. As I said, it's, it's tremendous to see the, the effort that people are making um, when, you know, it would be easy to say, no, you know, maybe we just can't get to it this year. But again, I suppose it all comes back to the reason why you're trying to raise the money, which is to do really important work. And, um, you know, I mean, uh, we can talk about the figures, obviously, but um, there are real people here. And, um, you know, the figures that, were, that I've seen, and you said yourself, are over 8,000 still. Like, I mean, it's an awful lot of people. Mm. And I suppose there was great hopes maybe before COVID-19 of perhaps at last tackling the housing problem. What do you see as the future in relation to housing policy well, in Ireland? Do you know... Um there, you're, you're right, there are all the issues are, are, are still there. You know, we have still have over 8,000. Uh, we have 187 um, within the southeast adults who are homeless and uh, homeless families in the southeast. The figure there that I'm looking at here now is there's nine of those and homeless children. So these are all numbers that I suppose, you know, they're a little bit scary. And I, I, one thing I, I think has become really clear through the coronavirus and all of us being in lockdown for all of that time it's how important your home is. Yes. Do you know, we were all uh, we were all bound to our homes for that period of time, and God, we're really grateful for them. Yes. Um, so it's nice to see that a lot of uh, people got moved out of the situation that they were in, but there's still plenty more to do. You know, and we'd only hope that um, there are so many other issues to be addressed. You know, we've got a lot of mental health issues, the housing issue is there. We've got a lot of economic issues that we wouldn't have had pre-COVID. And so there's a lot to be addressed. So all we can do is is maintain that level of awareness of what we're doing and get people all over the country from whatever part of business life or community life they're from to, to make the effort to, to try and come out and uh, sleep out on Friday night or to donate, do whatever it is that they feel is appropriate for themselves. Absolutely, and again, I'm, I'm sure you'll probably have other fundraising ideas as you go through towards the end of the year as well, or is this your big idea now for... for, for well, 25? this is the annual campaign. Yeah. This is the one um, where the, or this is our ninth year running um, oh, Shine a Light. Uh, yeah, and, you know, there's a big target sitting on this one because it is the one that uh, 
you know, it, it's it's the big fundraiser for us. So, you know, there's a figure of, of, of 1.3 million that, that we're aiming yeah. to reach. Yeah, yeah over, over the, the night. Uh, but, you know, we, we got very close to that figure last year. Mm-hmm. So, Hopefully, um, hopefully that will happen. Yes, there are other things happening. I mean, we're involved uh, with the corporates and we're involved in, you know, we've regional fundraising happening all over the country and we've got Christmas coming up as well. But this is the big one for us. Yeah, this is, this is the biggie for the year. And I suppose, again, just to, I mean, one of the starting figures that I, that I saw on your website, um, almost one in five households live now in privately rented home homes compared to one in ten, ten years ago. So, again, I suppose yes. the importance or the over-dependence on rented accommodation is also a key factor, isn't it? It, it, it is a key factor. And, you know, they're all issues that, that are addressed. I'm afraid that that's, I, I, I don't get involved in, in those issues. Yes. My primary focus is in fundraising, but... Yes, they are all issues that, that are there and, you know, we've got teams of people who are who are working away to um, liaise as best they can with the, the bodies that are there to, to try and address that and um, make it a possibility for the people who come by um, and come into Focus Ireland uh, for help so that we can actually be there to help them. I suppose as we as we await budget uh, 2020, hopefully funding will be part of that in relation to groups like yourself as well or maybe yeah, th- support structures. Yeah. That's it, that's it. And there's a team, team working in focus who would be, um, their, their attention will be on that and to ensure that if, 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 and if there is anything there that uh, the homeless issue and the issue of, of people getting into accommodation is, is one that's been highlighted all of the time. Okay, Jessica. So just basically again, maybe for, for our listeners, um, so sure. what can they do? Can they log on to your website, obviously? And if they go to Focus Ireland, yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, and this, as I said, it's their annual call-out for people all over the country uh, to sleep out and shine a light on homelessness. And all of the funds that are raised will go towards uh, the homeless um, circumstances that are here. Um, what will happen is if you go in there, there's lots of options to register as if you have a small business, a big business, whatever it is, uh, you can go and register that way. Or if you're registering to do it yourself at home, you could go in and do it that way. Um, and uh, lots of support there from Focus Ireland and some nice fundraising ideas and, uh, and you know some nice messages to get up onto your social media platforms if that's the way that you're deciding to do it. And I said, it's, it's a lovely night that's planned for Friday night to make it, because we are all... as as we have been all year, <clears throat> we are all going to be apart doing it. Yes. Um, but, you know, we'll join together digitally um, and we, we'll do the best we can with it. We'll have some uh, interviews coming through from um, the team in Dublin, from services managers there and from um, our, our CAO, Pat Denigan. Um, so, uh, you know, it should be, it should be a, a, a nice evening in that you'll feel you're part of something that's really, really quite big. Well, it's a wonderful idea for a great cause, yeah. uh, Jessica. Shine yeah. a Light Night takes place, as I said, on this Friday, October the 16th. And uh, can I wish you and all your colleagues in Focus Ireland, Jessica, uh, a really fantastic event. And uh, hopefully we, you'll get to the target that you want. Um, and uh, we're all behind you here in Kilkenny. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thank Jessica. You. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. The Voice of the Black and Amber. Community Radio, Kilkenny City. 88.7 FM. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM.
Welcome back to Kilkenny today and I uh, just want to say before I finish up many thanks to my colleagues here at the station for, for helping with the production today Anne Nolan and Declan Gibbons and uh, many thanks for their help but um, yeah so another guest now I'm going to be speaking to is in relation to Safeguarding Ireland which was established to promote safeguarding of adults who may be vulnerable to protect them from all forms of abuse and to develop a national plan for, for promoting their welfare. Joining me now uh, to discuss the work of Safeguarding Ireland I'm delighted to welcome to Kikani today, Geraldine Sutton. Geraldine, how are you? Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me on. It's so nice to talk to you and uh, there's a lot of great work being done here which is so important. Maybe you might just outline for our listeners um, the work that you've been involved in. Yeah, so I suppose um, my role within Safeguarding at the moment, I work for the HSC, I'm principal social worker for Safeguard for the Safeguarding team here in the South East. So we cover Kikani, Carlow, Waterford, Wexford and South Tipperary and we have two social workers right now who cover Carlow and Kilkenny specifically. So I suppose our job is to take allegations of abuse um, in respect of vulnerable adults. Now, vulnerable adults at the moment is determined as somebody over 65 or somebody under 65 with a disability. We have a new policy at the moment now that's been revised and it will take into account any adult at any stage in their lifetime who may be vulnerable to abuse, may not be able to protect themselves. And I suppose as the HSE, we are made, uh, the main funder of Safeguard in Ireland. That Safeguard in Ireland is um, a national committee. It's made up of a number of organisations, for example, MABS, Money Advice and Budgeting Service, um, SAGE, um, HICWA, um, Patricia Ricard-Clark, who is who, who's very active in terms of law reform and working you know, for, for the rights of older people. And I suppose, again, what, what their job really is to try to get legislation in Ireland. At the moment, there's no legislation to protect vulnerable adults. You know the way there's legislation yes. to protect children? There's none to protect adults, vulnerable adults. And again, it's not about taking away people's rights. We have rights to make good decisions as much as we have rights to make bad decisions. It's that when we can't protect ourselves, for whatever reason, we can't protect ourselves, that there would be legislation out there that would help people like myself and my team to protect a vulnerable adult in that situation. Yeah, and uh, obviously, I mean, abuse can happen in very many different situations and the type of abuse can be physical, emotional, sexual, financially. I mean, there's so much involved, isn't there? Absolutely. And, you know, this is a very difficult topic to talk about. um, But at the same time, it needs to be said, I suppose, that people understand what I see in my job of those who are over 65, they are most likely to be abused in their own home by a family member. Okay. That's very sad, very sad. really. Yeah. That's, but that's the fact. That is the statistics. Year on year, I've been working in this type of role. We, we've been called different things over the years, but, you know, in terms of we've been elder abuse and now we're safeguarding, but I've been working in this job for 13 years, and every year, year on year, older people in their own home by their family member. And I suppose, whereas we all think of, you know, um, we all think of, of abuse in nursing homes and yes that can occur but actually you're much more at risk out in the community on your own. COVID-19 has amplified that unfortunately because people couldn't get out. I was going to say that as yeah. well because obviously COVID-19 has affected so many different uh, parts uh, of society yeah. Ireland but from your point of view it must be particularly uh, difficult and challenging. It was very difficult at the very start obviously you know and I, I just want to really you know acknowledge all those people who've had to cocoon, I mean, they've had to make the ultimate sacrifice. As much as we've all complained, we could go on Zoom, we could, I could fly off to work in the morning, I could go to, 
you know, the shop of people who've, ha- who've had to look out the window at their little one, loved, at their loved ones and not be able to make contact with them has been very, very difficult. But equally, what that has meant is that people who are being cared for or live with a family member who maybe for whatever reason have their own issues going on as well, you know, that family member might have gone out to work during the day or the older person might have gone to the day centre. They would have got a break from each other, you know, yes. even from the caring role. Now, for months, sitting in, months on end, sitting in the house with nobody able to call to them, bar, you know, somebody to drop some messages and stuff, which is fantastic, but it just, it just put much more people at um, risk of abuse. I suppose we, you can see, and again, what Safeguard in Ireland have done is that they have commissioned a Red Sea of poll, and what they've seen is that abuse did increase during COVID. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. And again, the results from that, I mean, 50, 50% of respondents reported that a vulnerable adult close to them had experienced abuse. Yeah. I mean, it's a yeah. very frightening figure and uh, it really yeah. matches what you were saying to me. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what's interesting is it's that emotional, psychological abuse. And, you know, as much as it's not nice to get hit or pushed or whatever... But that that kind of wearing you down, you know, yeah. shouting at you, you're you're no good. I, I'm sick of you. That that kind of language. And I suppose what's really important, and Safeguard Ireland have done a huge amount on this, and they've had a number of campaigns over the last eighteen months. Is it's that part that sometimes we don't even know we're doing it. So one of their recent campaigns was about carers, where it said well, I just kept a few pounds for my expenses out of their pension when I was coming home. I didn't tell them because I just think I deserved it. You know, and sometimes little things like that, that when you say them, God, you say that that is abuse. But actually, when you're in the middle of caring for somebody, it's very hard. It's a very difficult place to be as a carer. Yes. But equally, it's a very, very stressful place to be. So so what we, my job, I suppose, is not to go in and say, and apport blame is to say how can we support the people who found themselves in a difficult situation and try to move out of that situation into a more positive environment you know as in you know reducing the the, the, the care care or stress but equally trying to support older people to make better choices to live independently as possible even in a situation where they can't leave their home you can still maintain some of your independence and maintain your decision making ability I suppose also there's a huge amount of responsibility on all of us that if we are aware of of a situation as you're talking about to bring it to the attention of somebody like yourself for example or maybe a GP yeah yeah Absolutely. Um, I suppose we have um, our number here in Kilkenny and we've the headquarters here in Kilkenny yeah. is 056-778-4325. If you ring that number, whether you're from Tipperary, Kilkenny, Carlow, you want to speak about somebody in another area, we put you in touch with the social worker for that area. And sometimes all people want is a bit of advice. They don't even want the social worker to call out there. They don't want us to go near their house but they're saying, my, my daughter told me I have to sign over the house to her or else we'd be... Do I have to do that? And you'll get questions like that. Yeah. And when you talk to them and say, no, you don't, but what I can do is I can give you advice about going for an advocate to maybe sage, speaking to a service like a loan, or speaking to us, whatever the, the person wants to do. So trying to empower them to protect themselves yeah. from abuse. Yeah. Hold on to your decision-making ability. Don't give away your independence, whether that's control of your money you know, ownership of your home kind of puts you at a, at a lower level and really makes you a lot more vulnerable if you're, if you, you know, hand over, I suppose, your pension to another person. It really is a difficult place for you to be because you're really dependent on other people then. But as, as you said, uh, Geraldine, it's so good to have the advice available, like, I mean, even over the phone, I mean, it's a, it's a huge support, isn't it? 
Yeah, it is. And, and I I can see, again, you know, we've grown before, up to, up to 2015, say, there was one social worker for each area. I was the social worker for Carlo Kenny, myself and another chap, um, before I took over from him. Now you have two, so we've doubled, which doesn't sound an awful lot, but even that just shows you there's a new policy coming out now next year. And again, there's going to be more staff added to it. Unfortunately, that's the response to the growing numbers of abuse in the community. But the other side of it is, unfortunately, abuse has always been there. But we've now put a name on it. And now my aim is to keep people in their home and try to stop the abuse. Whereas years ago, I suppose, we didn't know how to manage it. And older people were often had to move out and go into a nursing home because of their home situation. Now I'm trying. we're trying to put in positive safeguards in the home that support the family member as well as the older person or the vulnerable person um, where we can, you know, least restrictive Absolutely. alternatives. And it's so important that people can stay at home as long as possible. And that's that's a great um, service is being provided now. Allow that to happen yep. so much more. Yep. But um, so plans are being uh, are being created. And I suppose yep. by 2025, hopefully this will all be up and running and we'll have a much uh, better system. Yeah, I hope so. And I mean, you know, for, for us, I I've always struggled with when people said, oh, there's no legislation for vulnerable adults. You know, once you turn 18, you're an adult. Whether you're 18 or 88, you're an adult. You have the same right to make choices. Just because you hit 65 or you hit 70 or you become unwell, you don't lose your right to make decisions, good or bad. But equally, what you might need is a little bit more support. And there might be times when, for whatever reason, your decision-making capacity isn't as good as it, as it was. And then you might need the support of the state to get behind you to stop the abuse that's happening to you. So that's where the legislation is going. It's about respecting the rights of people. And we're all people, at whatever age we are, we all hope we live to 65, 70, 80, 90, whatever it is. Yes. And at some stage in our life, we could be more vulnerable than others. And we will need, need help along that line. So I suppose it's about having these measures there for people like myself who can go out to a vulnerable person and have legislation that allows us to protect them. At the moment, we don't. Isn't that, you know... It's yeah. just really, yeah, it's scary. And yeah. I suppose even we, yeah. just even the internet, I mean, we're all talking about Zoom meeting yeah. down so on and so forth, but yeah. we do hear via radio and TV, obviously, about, again, older folk perhaps being, you know, um, challenged in relation to fraud and so on. So there's so much we can all learn, isn't it, and maybe offer more support. Absolutely, and I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. I suppose we need to be very aware, like the online and digital abuse, financial phishing, I think they call it, fake friends and cyberbullying. I was on the phone myself the other day and I got it. I had applied for something online and I got a text message back from the company saying, oh, we missed up your details. Would you re-enter? And I was like, oh, that's great. And I was going to put them in. And then I thought, I never gave them my phone number. I was two seconds away from putting in my details because it just, they just can catch you so unawares. Absolutely. You know, a lot of them are around tax and things like that, that you might have put in a tax claim. Next minute you get a tax, you know, yes, email or, or message. Yeah. Well, so, I'm petrified myself because, again, yeah. you know, um, it's just so easy to make a mistake yeah. and we kind of do it almost every moment, every every oh. day, like, you know, and, um, of course, the people who are trying to get our money or whatever it is yeah. are experts, aren't they? They are. This is what they're good at, unfortunately. This is what they're good at. My, my own uh, father, I, what I'd say to him is, if you walk, even these, these bogus callers to the home, I said, if you wake up in the morning and you don't want a duvet or a set of this or a set of that or your roof fixed, then you don't deal with the person who's called to your door. You call somebody you know, you get somebody recommended. So as much as that we, we have to be vigilant online, the bogus callers are still calling to the door and we need to be vigilant around that. 
And equally, I suppose, it's just a level of big vigilance around ourselves in general, you know, whether they're family members or strangers, you know, your money is your money. Make your own decisions. Keep yourself safe. If you're not sure, ask a second person. You can ring up Sage is another very good um, organisation for older people and alone as well, as I've mentioned. And these are organisations who just, you can tease something out at the end of the phone and then you can go back to your family member with your decision. But at least you've been able to ask somebody, as you're not bamboozled by the information you've been provided with. You've sought your own information. Citizens Information Centre, again, is a brilliant um, um, organisation. And again, you have you can ring up on the phone. I suppose you can't get out as much as we used to and we're not getting the appointments because we can't go in. But picking up that phone and ringing somebody is, is so important. Geraldine Sutton, it's been so nice talking to you on behalf of Safeguarding Ireland. We look forward to having a chat again. But yeah, you're doing thanks. great work and uh, well done to you and all your team. Thanks for having me on. So goodbye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Some of us are finding being outdoors hard. Keep in mind people with disabilities, including the visually impaired, Social distancing can pose real challenges, so just in case, offer support and step aside to give space. We're in this together. For more wellbeing advice, see gov.ie slash together, an initiative of the Government of Ireland. Some of us are finding our sleep has become disrupted during this time. Try to switch off your devices an hour before sleep and keep a good bedtime routine. We're in this together. For more advice, see gov.ie slash together, an initiative of the Government of Ireland. Oh yeah, nearly time for me to go and um, I hope you enjoyed the programme today. Many thanks to my guests on the show and Slattery, General Manager of St. Luke's Hospital, Kilkenny here, Mayor John Coonan, Jessica Murphy from Focus Ireland and Geraldine Sutton uh, from Safeguarding Ireland. Lots of really interesting topics there and I hope you enjoyed them. And uh, until I talk to you again, which um, I'm back on there next Saturday for my own show on Saturday, it's called Saturday at 5. And uh, do tune in to Kilkenny today each day of the week and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Do take care of yourself. Bye. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City 88.7 FM.